Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. This week we remind you, the world is a book, and those who do not travel only ever read one page. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today we are joined by Matthew and Fernando of Abyssal Brews to talk about their new 5th edition D&D supplement, Campfire. Matthew, Fernando, welcome to Uncommon Taste. Hey, thanks for having us. Uh, really glad to be here. We always love coming on a podcast, getting to talk about our stuff. I am usually the face of Abyssal Brews. I'm the one that's out on social media. So I really love a chance whenever I can get Fernando out here to talk to people more because he's actually, you know, the talent of this operation. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. It takes a lot of talent to do the writing, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, and like Matt said, it's always fun when we get to uh, be together and talk to the community. Yeah, I'm really stoked to get to talk to you both. So this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're IRL friends. You know, we've been at, well, you know, we met on the internet, but we've been at this for quite a while together. So it's uh, it's wonderful to spend time with other people too, you know. Awesome. So let's go ahead and get started. How about the two of you introduce yourselves, tell us what you do, your bank account number, what, yeah. whatever you're comfortable <laughs> sharing. Blood type, last for your social, you know, the, the normal things. Mother's maiden name, Ashley Madison password. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, Fernando. Kick us off, man. number, but you're just going to be disappointed. So, yeah, so um, uh, I'm Fernando. I'm one half of Abyssal Bruce, and I do the illustrations. I also do a little bit of like the background stuff with Matt writing the items and the modules and stuff like that. He does the bulk of that. But yeah, I've been doing illustration for about 10 years now. Professionally, I mean, I've been doing it my whole life. But about 10 years ago, I started doing tokens for Roll20. And that was kind of like the beginning of my career in illustration. And I always wanted to work with Matt. We've done a few projects together, but nothing really panned out. And uh, yeah, we just uh, started Abyssal Bruce and, and it's been pretty great since. Absolutely. And I'm Matthew. I'm the other half of Abyssal Bruce. I am a professional graphic designer and a part-time home brewer that really has a passion for creating systems that don't get in the way at the table and kind of slot themselves in nicely without taking over the game. I refer to them as elegant because that's what I'm aiming for. I want things that feel great with the system, but don't suck your entire life away managing them. Outside of that, though, I've been DMing since I was 12 years old and I'm now 33. So that is quite a long time, but I don't really think that that experience serves that much of a purpose outside of, you know, maybe having a little bit of historical knowledge. I'm I'm more of the mindset that, you know, living in the now is a bit more exciting. But yeah, that's me in a nutshell, a very <laughs> small nutshell. Gotcha. I do want to say you said that you did some of the tokens for Roll20. Just a couple of weeks ago, we did our live play for our one year anniversary. We actually used Roll20 and some of those tokens on there are absolutely gorgeous. So well done. Tip my hat to you because those are nicely done. <laughs> well, uh, there's several artists that do Roll20 tokens, so I, gotcha. I can't take credit. Devin Knight is one of the guys that is very prolific doing tokens. I do mine on the Vanderforge. I don't have that many packs because it takes me a little while. But yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun to do. I'm moving away from that a little bit right now only because, you know, tokens, there's not a lot of variety artistically to what you can do. For the most part, you know, you're drawing a character view from the top. I started doing portrait tokens just to spice it up a little bit, but even that got a little samey. 
And in fact, one of the reasons Matt and I embarked together on Abyssal Bruise is because I wanted to challenge myself artistically. And he's very good at doing that because he's always coming up with these like really cool ideas and concepts and items and settings. You know, so far we've done a lot of modules and items and things like that, but he does have some really cool settings in his D&D campaigns that I've illustrated before. And I'm trying to just move more into more like whole illustrations like that, that includes backgrounds and landscapes and cityscapes. Whereas with tokens, it's very character centric, which I'm good at, but I kind of feel that every artist should always push themselves. And I've kind of hit a peak with the tokens, I feel, where there wasn't much room to grow. Yeah, it's been a, an ongoing thing that Fernando and I talk about where both of us really want to take on the next project that we don't think we can do. That's been this kind of running theme. So for us, the end goal of this is basically the project that we can't do, whatever that is. But we don't know where that is. I don't know that we've hit anything yet that I feel like we can't do. It's just we look for those opportunities to find something that is beyond our capabilities and outside of our comfort zone. And that's been kind of our motto from the start. It's been nice, though, that the community is so nice. <laughs> yeah, I do feel that Matt and I are in a place in our kind of careers, hemographic design made with illustration, where we feel comfortable tackling pretty much anything at this point. Like, at least I feel that way. I know it sounds a little bit... Oh, yeah. Uh, that I, I don't want... I'm sorry. I'm trying to find another word for cocky, but I, no, it escapes me right now. Arrogant? <laughs> I think it, it, sounds, it sounds a little bit arrogant, but I do feel that way. I feel like at this point in my illustration career, it, you know, illustration, like most jobs and most vocations, is all about problem solving. And when you approach an illustration, you're looking to solve problems either with lighting or composition, things like that. And at this point, I think I'm in a place where I can tackle those things. I'm not always going to knock it out of the park. I'm not saying that. But at least I can approach it in a way that the final product is going to be semi-decent. And like I posted on our first blog in Abyssal Bruce, what I can promise the community and, and our audience is that I'm always going to shoot for the stars. Like, I'm never going to do a mediocre job and settle for a mediocre job if I know that I can do it better. If all I'm painting is a rock, then it's going to be the most beautiful rock I can possibly paint. And that's been my approach to everything we've done so far. It's like you just leave it all in the field. And I've got to say, in preparation for this interview, I did go onto your website and I was taking a look at some of the stuff that you've already released. And I was going through the different items that you have on your website <laughs> listed and the art for those is absolutely phenomenal. I did absolutely, want to, yes. to say that. I think my favorite is the crack can. <laughs> <laughs> Don't crack and open inside. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Fernando can speak a little bit more on this, but funnily enough, when we were creating the crack can, that was, it was, I think, our seventh item that we created somewhere around there. But the point of it was that we had done this kind of promotional drive for the month of July. We were doing a new magic item every week called Kraken's Curiosities. And they were meant to just drive traffic, get engagement, get people used to our name and get them understanding who we were before we started moving into systems and things of that nature. And the Kraken was our litmus test for how silly we could be. It was our stab in the dark. We decided, you know, here's three strong items that we think would be really good at any table. And let's just do something a little goofy. And the crack in was that. And uh, it got amazing reception. So we were like, hey, we can be silly. This is great. And so from that point forward, 
it kind of allowed us to kick the doors open a little bit and be a little more open in our item design, which is a very comfortable place to be. And I will say, you know, that we mentioned the don't crack and open inside. I believe that was basically the only element of that thing that started with it whenever we, you know, came up with the item. I think that was like the third thing that we said about it was don't crack and open inside. And, that was like uh, the non-negotiable <laughs> part of it. It's like, <laughs> we can't change anything about it except this one little posted note. That's awesome. Yeah, it was so goofy, but it was really a great jumping off point for us to realize that we didn't have to be super serious pants all the time. Yeah, it paved the way to something like Billy or some of the other sillier items. Yeah, you know, we're going to be coming up with some other sillier items too. It's it's all about balance too. But, um, you know, this is the TTRPG community. There's some members of the community that I understand approach this on a very serious way. And we respect that too. But Matt and I, especially, like, we're silly. We like approaching it from... humor point of view we like having laughs in our games so doing little items like that it's always it always makes us happy yeah you need that like even if you're running curse of strahd you definitely need those breaks of levity in there even if you're running like a super serial camp type campaign i love that i use the toy shop owner for a lot of those whenever i was <laughs> running curse of strahd he was just this you know absolute wacky goofy over the top guy but yeah you got to have those breaks yeah, that's, that is something that a lot of the more seasoned DM advice individuals online will say is you have to have that denouement. You have to have that coming down in order to let everybody take a breath. Because if everything is serious, then nothing is serious. Right. Yeah. And nothing can be fun, too, because if you're going to the table and you're just stressed for three or four hours at a time at a table, that's really not fun. And you're going to burn your players out really fast. And you're going to burn yourself out real fast. Yeah, that, too. But I mean, if everybody at the table is having fun, then they're going to want to come back and they're going to look forward to the next bit. I did want to throw in, too, like with the campfire module, I absolutely love the art in there. Like, you guys have done great with the art. And I can't tell you how many people that we've talked to and said that they've gotten to D&D and they've gotten into tabletop gaming because, honestly, it was mostly the monster manual. You know, they'd see the art in the books and they were like, well, let's check this out. And then realize that there was a story or a game or a system behind it. And that's what drew them in. And I really think that that's something that you guys definitely brought to the table with this module. I love the art. If anything, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if any of you have experienced or seen Darkest Dungeon, but the color palette and the way you do your shadow and your lighting reminds me a lot of the art from there, which was absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, I love Darkest Dungeon. It does more of kind of a Mignola approach to artwork, which is phenomenal. I think if you look at the cycle, there's an illustration in the cycle that is definitely very Darkest Dungeon. It's like this trap that got triggered and sort of like squished uh, an adventurer. Uh, so that one, I can definitely see it there as well. Yeah, it's like I said, I'm pushing myself on the illustration part. Matt's pushing himself on the graphic design and writing part. We're really just giving it our all. So everything we release... We want to be proud of every single thing that we release. And I think so far, the response that we have gotten has been overwhelmingly positive because of that. Because like I said, we leave it all on the field. We don't have us well, anything. I mean, Fernando, you can speak more on the art, but I know for you, uh, Larry Elmore has been kind of a, a big name in the scene for you. And I think for us, you know, we started in a time where we had these, you know, these artworks that were presented in kind of a box set or a manual, as you said, and we idolized those. A lot of us did. At least I did. And then, you know, you learn more about some of your idols and things change every once in a while. But I think that 
at least getting into these whenever we started, there were so many idols to look up to that for us to now be getting these, I don't know how to how else to say it, but the amazing amount of kindness that we've heard from people when they say, you know, you're a community pillar, you're somebody that we strive to be like, I'm like, what? I'm just a guy making homebrew, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's been overwhelming. And I mean, like I was saying to Matt, we were talking when we released Campfire and it was so well received. Ah, yeah. There was like a, a physical reaction to it. All the positive feedback we were getting, all the love we were getting. I really do want people to know that there was like an actual physical reaction to it where like I felt like I was in cloud nine like it was just an unbelievable day and it's been unbelievable so, <laughs> since then and even before that just the reception of the items and the cycle and everything like that and it's really encouraging and, mo- and motivating to spend so much time and effort making these modules and items and, and products for the community and then seeing that that love uh, that comes from it, it it really makes us just want to do more and continue leaving it all out there because it's reciprocal you know, it's all the love that we get and all the praise that we get. It's overwhelming and it's humbling, but it gets turned into motivation for the next thing. So we don't let people down and we can release something else that hopefully will live up to the to the previous stuff. Yeah, that is something that I want to emphasize is, you know, if there are creators out there that you as a consumer enjoy their work, tell them. Oh, absolutely. That that goes so far. Yeah, just tell them, hey, I love what you're doing. I love this. I love that. Just a little 10-word line. Just drop it in their inbox, and it will go so far. You don't even realize just how much that little bit of realizing that you're throwing something into the void and someone in the void is catching it and appreciating it. It's huge. It really is. Just that little bit of feedback. It's so much. Yeah, it's, it's easy to forget sometimes when people get big. It's easy to forget that they're people at the end of the day. Absolutely. And with all this, like I said, all this positive feedback that we get, it's actually inspired me to do exactly what you're saying. I've gone back since in the last month or so, and I've gone to some of my favorite artists that I have them on a pedestal, and I have sent them messages on like art station or things like that and they have no idea who i am and they reply most of the time they reply with like a quick reply nothing big but it's kind of like it means something to them and i kind of understand it now it's like at the end of the day they're people you know they were little kids once with dreams they're getting to live those dreams but they don't love it any less and it still means a lot to get that validation for the work that you're doing well i mean imposter syndrome creeps in at any level does it not i would imagine Very true. though for a lot of people that's right so real quick i'm gonna go ahead and embrace my inner halfling rogue here We've got this beautiful thing we've been talking about, but what the hell is it? <laughs> yeah, we did. We, we kind of glossed over that. Uh, so, so Campfire, it is an elegant travel system for your table. And the point of it is to allow people to do travel without having to resort to montaging, but with also eliminating the random encounter tables that we might be used to in other methods of getting from point A to point B. The big thing that I have run into as a DM over the years is that I cannot run travel well. I haven't been able to ever run travel well. It always feels like it grinds to a halt. It always feels like I'm rolling on an encounter and then I have to, you know, do the combat and so on. Or the encounter is, you know, a story thing that doesn't fit whatsoever just because the setting didn't really mesh well at that time. So I have been looking and looking for a way to do travel that let us get from point A to point B 
let the travel mean something and have some sort of impact on the rest of the adventure when you got there, but also just something that got out of the way. I am so tired of tripping over random tables. I was so tired of trying to figure out a way to montage something that felt meaningful, right? Because if I'm saying, well, you move across the open plains where the rolling fields of lavender stretch out before you and the golden sunset feels warm upon your face. I mean, yeah, that's evocative and it feels very nice, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't impact the rest of your travel. And so because of that, I really wanted a way for people to run travel that resolved quickly, got out of the way, but more importantly, got players involved. So there's this weird concept in travel where one side of it is montaging, right? There's zero player involvement there. That's the DM talking to their player and the player sits there, you know, with their hands clasped and they're waiting for the DM to be done so that they can play their game. Let's be honest. That's when everybody hits the snack table or the drink thing and starts refilling their cups. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's okay. That's fine. The phone's been out. (laughs) That's fine. I don't mind that, but it doesn't feel great. And then the far other side of it is extreme player involvement where it's like, you know, a random table and it's like, okay, well, now you're going to fight 2d6 Sturges. I always default to Sturges because they're one of my favorite low-level mobs. (laughs) (laughs) that's become this thing on social media anyway because there are these two kind of weirdly diametrically opposed areas where it's montage your travel or roll for random encounters i needed a middle ground i needed something that resolved quickly i needed something that got rid of random encounter tables i needed something that gave player involvement back and i didn't want to deal with montages so there was this whole cacophony of pillars. So if you'll indulge me, as a graphic designer, there are things that we call pillars in any design work. They are the core tenants that represent the entirety of the system. So whenever we're designing for a new client, we talk to them, we deduce what they really need down to the absolute base elements, and we call those our pillars. And from that point, we build upon them. And I think that the design process for tabletop games and homebrew is surprisingly similar. Like, it's really similar. So, go ahead. I was going to say, I can really grab onto that. Anything you're building, any kind of story, any project you do, you really want that basic framework of what am I doing? What do I expect to happen? And I think even people that are listening now that are wanting to like, you know, figure out how to homebrew or things like that, that is amazing advice is just getting that foundation. And this is what we're going for type thing set up. That's perfect. Yeah. And it can be as simple as three sentences, right? For campfire, our pillars were resolves quickly, includes player involvement, no random encounters. Those were my three pillars. They're extremely simple, but everything about the system had to come back to those original three pillars. Whenever I make a new mechanic to go along with it, does it work with the original three pillars? If not, then we might need to shelf that. Now, it's worth exploring those, but you need to stick to that core so that you have an overall theme. I find that some home brewers do enjoy their systems a bit much to the point that they start tacking on a lot of things. And that's great. I love those options. But getting a solid core is the absolute starting point for any of these. And Campfire was no different. You know, if you want to call that the logs on the fire, that is exactly what it was. So there's these core pillars that I had spoke about previously. 
And I think that kicking off from those was what kind of, you know, got Campfire a strong base. And we built it out into a system that we say can resolve any travel in 15 minutes. That is true. It has plenty of room for expansion with role-playing if you want to do that. That is obviously going to add time to your travel, but if you don't want to role-play it out, some tables, you know, they're happy with like, okay, we're going to do our mechanicals, and then after we're done with mechanicals, we're going to move on, and that's okay. They can resolve their travel in 15 minutes. If you're like me and you're a little bit mushy and you like all the role-play stuff, it's going to take you a little longer. But outside of the... 15 minute resolve time, there are what we call hardships and windfalls that carry forward and give lasting boons and debuffs and things of that nature. So it's this system that basically just makes travel not suck anymore. <laughs> yeah, we had Jonathan Pruitt from WebDM on whenever they were kickstarting their Weird Wastelands book. Yeah. And that was one of the gripes that they had. And one of the reasons why they wrote the book was because the exploration portion of the game is so criminally undersupported. It is. And I'm a big fan of WebDM. You know, Pruitt, absolutely inspirational in the work that he has done with Wastelands. I'm very excited to get it. I'm, you know, going to fanboy over here a little bit. But I think that that is one of those things that exploration pillar needs a little bit of support from time to time. And that's what we hope to do. Yeah, I'm with that. Like you guys talk about the exploration. Like ideally in my mind, the way I've always wanted travel and random encounters, it would be like the old Final Fantasy maps or like Legend of Zelda 2 where you're just kind of walking the thing and then pop, you have a random encounter. But it never, ever works like that on the table. And like you said, it does feel clunky. And that's what's so great about that campfire module that you guys built is it's really easy. You've got a couple tables. But they're not hard to figure out, hard to roll. Again, you can bring some role play in there, but it's just, hey, we're doing this, roll for this. It almost has almost like a 40k Warhammer type feel to it where you kind of roll a check to see where you're going to land or if there's a scatter type thing or how close you get to where you're actually going and some of your rolls that I thought was really neat to do. So definitely a different flavor and I like how it seems to feel and work on the table. Yeah. So I have to point out, James, this is something that you're not going to like, but this feels very similar to the skill challenge mechanic from 4th edition. I know that you hate 4th edition with a passion, James, but this feels like that skill challenge mechanic that I really wish that had survived the transition Uh into 5th edition. I'm not saying that, uh, you know what, 4th edition did bring some good things to the table, but they really really messed up a lot of other things particularly they stepped all over their own lore that's my biggest gripe with fourth edition is i hate when a franchise just stomps all over their own lore Eh, it's still the dark ages i'm gonna die on that hill fourth edition is the dark ages there was a lot of cool things that came from the dark ages like (laughs) alchemy and the early renaissance and and plague doctors we like them too right um but you know by and large it was a rough time I think the skill challenges are universally one of the few things people like about 4th edition. And I think Matt has gone on the record saying that he liked those, and that was one of the few things that we loved about 4th uh, edition. And uh, while I got the floor, I do want to give Matt props because 
Campfire really is brilliant, in my opinion. And I'm talking now as a fan, not as somebody that worked on it, because uh, pretty much 100% of the writing and the concept is Matt's. All I did was the illustrations. And the upcoming module... Oh, yeah, all I did was make it doing. gorgeous. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> all I did was sell yeah, all the eye candy <laughs> for marketing materials. And, oh, man. What a... What a, <laughs> what a contribution. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to downplay it. I, we definitely covered the importance of illustration. And I'm, I'm the first one that is going to tell you, like, just like you guys, I got into this stuff because of Larry Elmore's art and Wayne Reynolds' art and stuff like that. So that's the only reason I even started looking at D&D and tabletop and stuff like that. So absolutely art. I'm not saying it's not. But just the concept of Campfire is so brilliant. I remember the first time that I read it, uh, it just blew my mind. And I became a fan of it. Uh, that had the fortune to work on it. And it was one of the things where like my position on it from the beginning has been, this should be official. This should absolutely 100% be <laughs> on 6th edition somehow because it really is just so elegant, so well done. There's no wasted words. It's so streamlined. And it makes this one mechanic that is part of every game fun. And it's a mechanic that for the last 10, 15 years, or long people have been, uh, this D&D renaissance has been going on, has been kind of boring, has been something that DMs have struggled with a lot. And Matt found a way to turn that into something that is actually fun and something you can look forward to now. And absolutely, I'm very proud of the illustrations, I'm going to say. And I'm a lot more involved in the upcoming modules and yeah. stuff like that. So, But for this one, I just want to give him props because... It's one of those things where I'm as much of a fan of it as a creator. Like I, the first time I read it, like I said, it just blew me away how brilliant it is. Wow. Look at you giving me all the compliments in the world, my friend. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, have to, I have to agree with him. Yeah. I mean, none of that was wrong. No, none of that was wrong. And now that I've picked this up and read through it, I fully intend to start utilizing this because in my games, I always had that unsatisfactory... Mm -hmm dichotomy of do i just montage this and go on or do i rely on random encounters and then because they're random run into the issue of the random encounter table spits out something that doesn't fit mm -hmm. in the lines of my story and runs the risk of throwing a red herring into my story that my party is going to start chasing after this random encounter, thinking that it's part of the story when it's not. Oh, absolutely. Because I will totally chase every single red herring. <laughs> oh, yeah. And most players will. I mean, why wouldn't you? That's kind of the nature of being a player, right? You see something shiny in front of you. It's more of a squirrel than a herring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, look, something shiny. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I kind of embraced about Campfire whenever I was in the process of actually designing it. Let's talk about the tables that are in, in, yes, the, please. in the game. There are a couple little tables for figuring out your travel DC and your destination score. Those are different things. But the two biggest tables that are in it are D20 tables that are windfalls and hardships. And the windfalls and hardships represent kind of the whims of the world as you travel through it and the things that you encounter. So as your party participates in these, yes, they are very close to skill challenges. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, as they participate in these very close to skill challenges, that's kind of the player participation end of this that I really wanted from the start. They are able to 
earn a number of successes and failures. And basically at the end, you get a number. And this number is how many times you roll on either the windfall or the hardship table. And the things that I really wanted to populate those things with are a bit unique. So I have noticed that there is a propensity in the official modules, and I love many of the official modules. So please don't, you know, mistake this as me ragging on Wizards of the Coast. They have some great materials. But one of the things that comes along with a lot of their random encounters is that they are, you know, 2d6 wolves, or they are, you know, you encounter X thing. It's specific, it's definite, it's this thing. But what I have noticed is that myself as a DM, I don't need those things. What I need is a suggestion for what could have happened. I don't need the very specifics of it. I'm an improvisational heavy DM. I leave a lot of my prep out of it. I prepped improv. That's the phrase that I use for it. So what I need for myself at my tables is just a quick spark of inspiration. And that's what I wanted to populate the entirety of the windfall and hardship table with. So rather than 2d6 sturges, it's something like whether it was the biting insects or the loud frogs, you didn't get a great sleep and X thing happens because of that. So that is an inspirational point. And no matter the setting that I'm in, whether I'm in the middle of the desert or a high mountain peak somewhere in the distance, I have the ability to improv off of that and make it into the setting that I'm running and make it into a cohesive story experience. So that was something that was extremely important for me to shove into the tables that are included in the system. Yeah, the windfalls in your table results, I guess we want to call them, are yeah. all very usable. And I like that a lot. Going back, we were talking about the whole random encounter thing. I think something that, I don't know, like you say, it can be clunky. I mean, you could be in the middle of a forest and all of a sudden you're fighting a Yeti or something. That's just what's on the table. And so that's what you rolled. What? Personally, I would like a CR challenge here and then whatever you would, would want to make it up. But even just taking those out and like having your windfalls or having your detriments, whatever they may be, is also a great way to kind of build off of that. How exactly though, and I may have missed it when I was going over it, how do you deal with like your long and short rest? Are you just automatically granting a long rest through that travel period? Or would there be something that could possibly interrupt that? Yeah, so for long and short rest during it, we just fully hand wave that. There's okay. no reason for rests to actually take place during the travel. That's part of the system kind of resolving travel quickly, is we don't need to handle those day-to-day operations that you might otherwise have to handle in a different system. Instead, what I've opted for is that the windfalls and hardships, if you read over them, a lot of them carry over after you get there for... 24 hours or a few days, things of that nature. Reason being, we wanted players to have something that they get to their location. And either if it was a great travel that felt really good to get through, then you have something that lasts a little longer for you. If there's a bad travel that really didn't go your way, then yeah, you're going to have something that you need to deal with while you're at your location. That's really something that we wanted to lean into was to make sure that uh, people didn't have to fiddle with long and short rests along the way. I like that. And again, going back and referencing Darkest Dungeon, that kind of feels like some of the boons and stuff you could get in Darkest Dungeon, either from your campfire where you'd be sitting and you'd rest with your camp members or different things. You'd get like, you know, a bonus to a resistance or a bonus to attack or something like that till your next rest period or your next travel period, as it were. I have never played it, so I'm, oh, okay. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> 
I'm a big fan of Darkest Dungeon. I have bought it like three times. I, I bought it for like the PC, iOS. I think I'm going to have it on Switch also <laughs> or something like that. I saw it at PAX, I want to say 2013 or 2014. I forget which PAX it was, but I fell in love with it immediately because of the aesthetic and yeah. the art. And uh, of course, the gameplay is, is fantastic. Right, too. but yeah, like I was talking about is you have the rest and when you rest, you get this bonus from your campfire time or your travel time. That'll last so many turns or till your next camp or something like that. So again, I kind of got that feel. And that's one of the mechanics of the game I love because it is just so easy. It's nothing unwieldy. It's just, okay, I, I got something good. I got something bad. Here's the good thing. Here's the bad thing. Exactly. And talking, going back, talking about the traditional random encounter tables. So many of those random encounters are combat encounters. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something that's, always ruffled my feathers a little bit is that yes D&D is a glorified combat simulator with some role play elements attacked onto it because it started as a war game but campfire allows you to step away from the combat and go into the role play side a little bit more and because you're getting away from that combat side you don't have to take care of keeping track of your short rests and your long rests and your spell slots and all of those things because you're not using them. Granted. Yeah, you never really do run across like a traveling merchant with a random encounter, do you? Not hardly. <laughs> <laughs> I think the closest you come is maybe something like the Skeletal Rider in, in Curse of Shroud, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's this concept where I think a lot of the random encounters that you see on your standardized tables, they do lead in heavy combat. And that's okay. D&D, as I recall from reading you know, the history of it, you had to buy a separate game whenever it first started in order to handle the travel encounters so you know maybe with campfire i'm just taking it back to its roots you know you have to buy a separate supplement just to make it <laughs> make travel work but again as you said it's extremely elegant and you know that's one of those phrases you use that i haven't heard since like my chemistry days where it's just that simple thing that kind of fits perfectly <laughs> and so yeah it is very elegant and it is great one thing I did want to ask, though, you were talking about building your tables and you have your pillars that you wanted to go. So what were some of the ideas that maybe didn't quite make the cut? Oh, there were so many. I'm trying to... Those are robots and the aliens. <laughs> you get accepted. Yeah. yeah, there was one where Shia LaBeouf shows up. That went right out. Uh, <laughs> that was going to be one of the windfall stuff. He just shows up and pumps you up like, you can do it, do it. And then, and yeah, then one and of the hardships is he's right behind animal. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was both a windfall and a hardship. It was uh, That's why he didn't make the cut. We, couldn't, we didn't know where to put him exactly. That was the real challenge. There. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf was, he was the wild card, right? You know? Um, That's awesome. Just by default. No, but anyway, like I think one of the big things that got cut was actually I had a lot of the stuff set in a way that was like lasts until you take a long rest. And whenever I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense and everything. And then I started shopping it to some of my players and they're like, well, we're just going to long rest whenever we get anywhere. And I immediately realized that's what any logical individual would do. And I changed that away. But I think one of the big ones for me was actually, they're distilled down to D20 tables in the end, but they were originally like 50, 60 options, right? Because a lot of the ones that were cut were either too strong or too weak or overly punishing, or they were too specific. And that's what I really wanted to avoid with a lot of them was too specific. For example, one of the ones that I had was that 
it was like something in the sky, right? It was meant to be, you know, the arrival of kind of a bad omen. And it was meant to be this kind of, not necessarily a call for the apocalypse or anything like that, but it was just meant to be some sort of bad omen would arrive. And I realized a lot of that stuff. or something? Yeah. And so for that, a lot of the things that I ended up removing were just too setting specific. So that's where a lot of my culling was from either... Just way too heavy handed, like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, wild magic surge happens. Good luck. Though I do have a little bit of that in there. But- <laughs> <laughs> we love wild magic. Yeah. But, you know, there was a lot of things that maybe just were too specific or too overpowered. That's where a lot of the culling was done. I'm having a hard time thinking of any of it because it was all bad. You know, those things that after you've written something, you just lock it away in a Google Doc somewhere and you're like, here there be dragons, right? We don't go there. You will uh, go back and feed at fish heads in a couple months? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, he gets cut for a reason, right? Like that's part of Matt's sort of brilliance or genius. It's like he is very, I think that comes from his graphic design background is that he is all about efficiency, minimalism, and making it elegant. And we keep using that word, but it really is the perfect word to describe the system. And that's because anything that got cut is because he thought really hard about it and used wouldn't fit. We didn't cut things unlike in other industries like video games or movies. We don't cut things because, you know, we're short on time or it's going too long or we don't have the production budget to do this or that. He cut things because they just wouldn't make it better. They just needed to be cut to make the product that we ended up releasing. So that's why it's a great question, but it's also, he has a hard time coming up with it because the stuff that got cut needed to be cut. It's not <laughs> one of those things where like, there's going to be a director's you know, cut of campfire that it's going to be better somehow. Funnily enough, actually what happened to a lot of them, I can tell you this with an absolute certainty, is a lot of them got rolled into examples in the language on the table. So if you look at any of our examples, it would be like, oh, you know, a fake creature Perhaps it's a fey creature that offers you a deal or perhaps a wandering merchant, so on. Whenever I wrote the tables originally, those would have been separate windfalls or hardships. But I realized like, well, you know, if you're wandering through the fey wild, let's say, it wouldn't make much sense for you to necessarily encounter X or Y thing. So then I was like, okay, let's distill down to what the core of these things are. What is the purpose of you meeting a friendly fae or a friendly merchant, something? Well, the core of it is just that you meet a friendly character. So why not just make that the windfall? You meet a friendly character. They offer you a boon. And then they just got distilled into examples. That, that is beautifully constructed. <laughs> Sometimes I... No, please continue with your flattery. Yeah, you know, <laughs> can you just, just tell me how great I am? No, but... Just elaborate on that. <laughs> You want alphabetical or chronological? Yeah. Right. But that's what it came down to was that I wrote out all of these example encounters that people could come across, whether they're good or bad or so on or so forth. And I wanted to just strip them down to the basics of what they were. You gain a level of exhaustion. Why? Well, it can be any number of things. Here are some examples of things that could cause a level of exhaustion, but the core is that you're just tired the next day. So that's what I, I did for a lot of those. Actually, whenever I wrote them out, they got broken down into examples that were clumped together into other windfalls or hardships. Awesome. So do you have other questions popping up, Ian? I do have a couple. Um, okay. A little while earlier in the interview, you talked a little bit about another one of the supplements that you have available called The Cycle, mm. where you revamped the death and dying mechanics 
for fifth edition. Yes. Can you go into just a little bit of detail on what it is and why you felt it was needed? Yeah. Um, I think I remember seeing it probably when it was still in beta up on Reddit, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, the only release I did with it on Reddit was actually like the full release. It was already okay. done. Okay. So you are I- completely wrong. No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I remember seeing it at one point and and reading. The cycle was really just this. It was a showpiece. Would you say, Fernando, it was meant to be something that we kind of just showed the community what we could do to start with? Yeah, we didn't want to come out of the gate and just tell people like, oh, you know, here's something that we did pay us five bucks without anybody being familiar with. We wanted people to know that when it came to time for us to ask for an actual amount of money that people knew that it was worth every cent because they had that experience with us. So that's why we released all the free items and the cycle. But yeah, it was kind of, Matt already had that written again, uh, much like Campfire, to a lesser extent Campfire, but the cycle was also something he already had worked on. And he basically brought me into Illustrator. And that's actually kind of what started the whole Abyssal Bruce. It was, he wanted to release the cycle. He was just going to, I guess, pay me for the illustrations like he's done in the past. And I was, that's when I was like, kind of inserted. Pay your artist. Yeah, that, yeah, pay your artist. <laughs> and, but that's kind of when I inserted myself. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to be a part of this, like the whole thing forever. <laughs> and let's, let's, you know, be part of this Because like I said, I've always wanted to work with him. We had worked on some other stuff together. It didn't pan out. And I love working with him. I still do. And I always will. So, but yeah, the, the cycle was, like he said, a showpiece. We just wanted to show the community kind of what we were about, the level of quality they could expect from us. And again, it's one of those things where the death mechanic, I would say unlike travel, this is my opinion, unlike travel, the death mechanic is not terrible, but it's also not fun because that whole mechanic of like, well, you're unconscious now and just roll uh, to see if you're conscious or not uh, to stabilize yourself or whatever. And then you get a little bit of hit points and then you become unconscious again. That what I'm trampling over Matt a little bit, but uh, what he calls the consciousness yo-yo, which I think is brilliant. It does not as much fun. It's not broken. It's not terrible. It's just, it could be better. And that's, I think what Matt did. It's like he made it better and he made it more cinematic, which is really what you are striving for in every D&D campaign, right? We want that cinematic epic moment from, you know, Lord of the Rings or all those like fantasy movies and video games that we play. And that's what I think the cycle accomplishes. Yeah, it was meant to be a system that acted as a replacement, not because something was horribly broken, but because something looked like it could be smoothed over, right? It was a polish point rather than a complete addition to the game, let's say. The cycle is a very simple mechanic. What it breaks down to, it's free on our coffee shop. You can grab it if you would like to get a taste of what Abyssal Bruise is about. But there is a concept where instead of going unconscious when you hit zero HP, you instead enter a state called the cycle where all kinds of bad things are now on you. You know, you have disadvantage on attacks, attacks have advantage against you, your speed's a little slowed, so on and so forth. It's not a good thing. You don't want to be in the cycle. But you are no longer unconscious. You can stand up, you can move, you can cast spells, you can attack, you can do all of that. You're just worse at it. You're worse at everything. So what the point of that was, though, is that you're still rolling death saves. I call them cycle saves. They are calculated in a different manner than death saves in the system. But 
the whole point of it was to get rid of that back and forth consciousness. I find this problem whenever I run games where melee characters especially run into this thing where there's the calcification of melee combat, right? You get in next to somebody and it's a slap fight to the death, right? Whoever slaps hardest (laughs) wins. And you don't want to move out because then you have to waste your action or perceive that you're wasting your action on disengaging unless you're a rogue. And the problem then becomes those melee fighters. Eventually they get hit. If they're not the winner of the slap fight, they get hit and they're at zero. They go unconscious. They fall down. A cleric, you know, healing words them or somebody pours a healing potion down their throat. They arise. They are still in a bad shape, but they're still stuck in melee, maybe. And now they are kind of weighing their options. Do I back out and wait to get healed? So on and so forth. A lot of people will do that. But the other option was to stay and fight on. So what I wanted to offer was an alternative where you don't have to worry about the unconsciousness part of it. You have the ability to stand up. You have the ability to fight. You're just bad at everything and you're you are increasingly pushing your luck because the more damage you take, the further into the cycle you go and the worse your death saves are. So you are pushing your luck every second that you're staying around, but it offers that opportunity for fight or flight. That's really what I wanted back. That was a core pillar of it was the opportunity for fight or flight, the return of player agency, meaning that the player has a choice. They're not just sitting there on their turn waiting to roll their death save and then, well, I passed or I failed and that's that's my turn. Okay, let's move on. And I wanted to give players the option for those bittersweet kind of cinematic heroic sacrifices, right? The moment where you say, go, I'll stay, right? <laughs> I, I wanted those. I wanted those in my campaigns. And that was Fly kind you of fools. A, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was going for Gandalf or Iron Giant there. <laughs> Boromir, you stay. I go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that was basically what the point of it was. I didn't think that the mechanic was especially broken, but I did think that it could use just a little bit of polishing. And that's the cycle in a nutshell. It's an alternate death mechanic that allows for heroic sacrifices, cinematic fight or flight gameplay, and uh, the return of player agency. I like it. It's something I've said before, mostly tongue-in-cheek, mostly because I do believe this to a point, but the game really needs to reward cowardice a bit more because cowardice is a very real thing. It does. And so many times players are just, you know, they play heroes and I understand that, you know, you want to play that heroic, you know, the do well, but there is this kind of weird mechanic where for death, it's just a very like... It's a very boring experience to actually be on the player side of death. I had this problem, especially with a wonderful good friend of mine, and she was playing this rogue that, oh man, I don't know what it was, but just somehow everything hit against this rogue. Everything. And so just constantly in this back and forth state. And I'm sitting there as a DM going, oh, my God, this is the worst session for you (laughs) over and over again. (laughs) And I feel so bad that I ended up figuring out a way to make that a little more enjoyable to at least allow players the choice. I love what you said about rewarding cowardice, because I feel like that's also part of like what makes a character interesting. I remember... um, you probably remember Matt, but one of the games that we played together, I played a mage who was like 
part of the thing was like he was a coward. And my go-to in combat was always to hide behind something and kind of pew-pew from yeah. far. And I didn't care that it wasn't heroic. It was like, that was like who this character was. Because like, I played other characters. Like my last character was this orc who was the opposite. He would just like run into the fray. And it's fun because he was kind of like a hero outside of combat. And he was arrogant and all these things that a mage tends to be. But then when the rover hit the road, his go-to move was hide (laughs) behind everybody else. Send the rest of the party members, quote-unquote friends, in harm's way. Operation Meat Shield. Basically. (laughs) And then... But, you know, that was like a character choice. And and I love what you said that the game needs to reward cowardice because that makes an interesting character as well. It really does. And the thing of all things that really brought that home to me years ago was the old Eddie Izzard skit where he's talking about Shaggy and Scooby, you know? And they really are great characters. But, I mean, they're not rushing up to the front lines or anything, but they're some of the best animated characters ever, you know? So, yeah, it's one of those things where you look at the game and it's like, why shouldn't my character run away? Seriously, like, he's not expected to win this. That was basically the point of it is that when you're somebody like me that designs worlds instead of campaigns, sometimes players run into things that they just can't handle right now. And you can throw all the warning signs in the world in front of them, but players are arrogant sometimes, you know, they think that they can handle things and that's okay. I love exploring those with them, but sometimes, you know, the baddie shows up and they're like, oh, they're okay. They just smacked us right in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So they needed those options for actually getting away. So that was the cycle, uh, kind of a little showpiece, a little death option. Much smaller system than Campfire. So if you want a taste of what Abyssal Bruise is about, I recommend, you know, you grab the cycle, you check out some of our magic items. And that is kind of a good way to understand how we write, how we illustrate, how we design and what we look like on the whole. Yeah, it's meant to be free. Like, don't, there's no strings attached. Yeah. It's meant to be free. It's meant for everybody to grab it. And, you know, you don't even have to say thank you. And, you know, you have <laughs> the option you, to can. donate if you want. But you really, yeah, exactly. You can say thank you. You can donate. Absolutely. Of course, we appreciate it. But don't feel obligated to. If you yeah. want to check out Matt's writing, uh, my illustrations, check out the cycle, look at the items we release. Those are free, are meant to be free, and they're meant for you to enjoy with no strings attached. So you're telling us the first taste is always free. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're pushers. So my last question is, who is your octopus mascot? <laughs> Fernando, go ahead. I, I don't know that we have come up with a name for Have we come up with a name for her or, or not? I forget. No, we know that it's, it's a girl kraken. We know that. But yeah. we, we haven't really given a name to our Kraken mascot. There's been the jokes of, you know, like Karen the Kraken. That's been a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Part of it is because I have this problem myself. I have a little bit of dyslexia. And sometimes I read it as Karen's curiosities instead of Kraken's curiosities. <laughs> so that's even happened to me before. But uh, yeah, I think the way that came about was Matt, when he was creating Abyssal Blues, the website, that was before we had partnered up. He wanted to hire me to like do an illustration for the background. And I think like one of the ideas we had was like an anglerfish and stuff like that. And I forget how we settled on the Kraken to make it interesting and, you know, big and ominous and imposing in the background there. And so if you go to our website, there's this like very scary looking Kraken and whatnot. And for some reason, and it's 
part of what we were talking about before. We are very silly people. We don't take anything seriously, and least of all ourselves. That's part of it, right? Like you'll hear Matt say something sometimes that come off as arrogant, and he's fully kidding. Like we are the most self-deprecating <laughs> people in the world. We love making fun of ourselves, and that cracking came out great, but it turned quickly into just a cartoon version where in one of the cartoons is she's getting drunk <laughs> and getting an attitude. There's another one where she's kind of like a lawyer looking at a bunch of papers. Um, and That's we, you know, we have these uh, pages with all the, <laughs> right. yeah, honestly, like we're probably going to make a lot more of her, oh, yeah. uh, at some point, like she's got, she's our mascot at this point. It's just like, we're, we're so busy creating all their stuff that <laughs> suffering uh, from my success. art time is, <laughs> yeah, my art time is, is all dedicated right now to all this stuff. Before we release anything, I have plenty of time to fool around with little Kraken cartoons. But that's something we definitely would like to, uh, at least I would like to get back to at some point because she's a lot of fun and we love we love the yeah, Kraken. It's been really fun kind of steering Abyssal Brews into this direction that it's gone, right? Because we started with, I started this kind of project as a way to pull myself out of a pit and getting to see those things that I created whenever I was still fully in that pit. Now that I can look back on it and say like, wow, you know, the depths have receded and now I get to stand here and look back on uh, some of these things like the Kraken and, you know, the community that we have around us. It's really special. You know, I'm sorry, I'm feeling things right now, but there's been this there's been this evolution that started with the Kraken. And I will tell you that the Abyssal Bruise logo with the little tentacle on it and everything and the Kraken that comes with it, those things have kind of become a symbol of triumph for me. And so the Kraken, as as fun and silly as, as she is, I still view her as something that has helped me. So, yeah. Oh, we love the Kraken. Yeah, yeah. that's and, awesome. And we, we make fun of her because we love her. Just like we make fun of each other because we love it's each other. It's true. It's kind of, that's our brand of love, I guess, is, if, you know, if, if you love something, mock it. <laughs> oh, we we uh, wouldn't know anything about that, would we, James? Not at all. Not, not at <laughs> all. <laughs> so I also had one final question to throw up to you guys before we move on. You guys sound like you've got a lot of ideas. What do you think your next big project after Campfire is going to be? Oh, that one's easy. We've already started talking about it. Homestead. It is a town slash settlement management system. So we are going to be taking on, basically, we're going to try to give players an elegant way to manage a town, to grow a settlement, to inhabit it with amazing people and amazing things, and do so in a way that leaves plenty of character-driven options within it. And also something that doesn't take over the game. That's basically what it comes down to. There are great town and settlement management systems out there already. Things like Wow Rocks. I can't remember exactly what he calls it. Or obviously Matt Colville, Strongholds and Followers. But a lot of those tend to be very focal. So we want something that is kind of a, you can still have your story and your campaign and everything, but you can also manage a town. So that's what we're aiming to hit. That's uh, That'll be Homestead. It's going to be a much bigger system, uh, is what I will tell you. It's bigger than Campfire, but definitely smaller than some of the big ones out there. So that's our next thing. After that, sky's the limit, man. Who knows? Excellent. I, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that. Yeah, that'll be really exciting because, again, building a, a settlement or a town out of, from scratch is definitely a challenge. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's kind of a lot of my settings and campaigns are kind of hub-based, right? They start with 
the adventurers kind of going through something, but then eventually they end up in this central area where they can kind of expand out and explore the world as they want, because I make worlds, not necessarily campaigns. So because of that, I need something to allow them to play with that hub and work on it. So that's Homestead. Whew, it's it's a biggie. I'm excited about it, though. It's one of those ones. I, yeah. I said this to Fernando. I've said this before, but like tackling something that I don't know we can do. That's what we're doing with this. I'm excited. Yeah, well, the thing with Homestead is like, we can't talk about it too much right now. Not because we are secretive and, you know, fearful that somebody's going to steal ideas or anything. Yeah, quite the opposite. We're very open about it. It's just that we really are still kind of coming up with ideas and narrowing down what we're going to do. It's definitely going to be that. One of the tenets, I think, is I would like it to be, and, you know, Matt too, but we really would like it to be kind of like the settlement version of Campfire, which is like, it's, you don't have to, build your campaign and your game around it. It's just one more tool that fits into any campaign, any setting, is to make the time, the settlement management and the town building aspect of your game something that you don't have to focus too much on. Maybe that's not the right... uh, What I mean is like it doesn't take over your time. It doesn't take over your campaign. It's there when you need it. You can tap into it when it's fun. And the rest of the time, it's not something that you have to be constantly worrying about and stuff like that. So Elegant, again, the work keeps coming up. We spent, this is a little inside baseball, but like a couple of days ago, we spent, I don't know, like an hour maybe, literally looking just at synonyms for the word elegant because <laughs> we realized that we used that word on the previous two releases. And I keep pushing for it because I do think that that's kind of the perfect word for this one as well. And I'm not saying we're going to use elegant for every system we make, but at least for this one, once again, it fits. It's elegant in the sense that it is uh, lightweight. I don't want it to be overwhelming. I don't want it to feel like homework. We want you to be able to pick it up, read through it, hopefully not take like a month or three months to read through it, but something like Campfire that you can yep. like, read through it fairly quickly, start implementing it. And I guess not worry too much about how it's going to affect your campaign and your world. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to build your whole game around it. On the contrary, it's just like Campfire in the cycle. It's like you can just plug it in and it just makes your game more fun. At the end of the day, this is about the fun of playing Dungeons & Dragons, and we're trying to sort of make those things that we as players and DMs find not as fun, we're trying to make them fun. We're trying to streamline them. We're trying to make it, at the very least, get out of the way so you can get to the fun parts of your game. Will it come with an NPC named Preston who uses sending to let you know when your settlement needs assistance? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it won't. But... uh... You know Good. what? If somebody <laughs> wants to add that on, that's another thing. Our systems, we encourage people to hack them and add anything that they want in. So if somebody wants to add somebody yeah. named Preston in that throws out the setting, please, please do. Go for it. That's all on you, boo. Okay. I think that brings us to the end of our interview portion. So now one of the things that we really like to do with our guests is go through our monster mashup random table and create a creature on the fly. Now it's time for Chaos Woohoo. So if you guys are ready and willing and have some dice, because there's two of you, I'm going to let you guys decide amongst yourselves who rolls what when. Okay. So we're going to start off with a D4 roll for this creature's form of locomotion. All right. I'll take first roll. I'll take first roll. Let's see. D4. Uh, that is going to be a two. Yes, we finally have a two. It runs. All oh, caps. All caps runs. Okay, all right. 
We got fast right. zombies, folks. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm like, okay, we got fast zombies. Cool, cool. All right. So next is going to be a 1d6 roll for what does it eat? Fernando. Kick All right. Off. Yeah, let's... Uh, oh, also a two. We're nothing if not a couple of big number twos. <laughs> <laughs> Betas unite. All right. Oh, it eats plants. Okay. It runs and eats plants. Okay, so... It's vegan. It's vegan and it does CrossFit. And it doesn't shut up. Anybody. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. Oh, Excellent. There it is. There it is. <laughs> All right. Next up is a D8 roll for the size. All right. Let's see what it does. That... Yeah, let's see how much it runs. <laughs> Seven. Seven. Oh, gosh. This is a gargantuan creature. That <laughs> runs and eats plants. So I'm picturing this thing like picking up whole trees and just, you know, biting yes. them off, right? That's awesome. I'm okay. thinking of like the, the presidential fitness award brontosaurus for like elementary schools. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Okay. All right. We've got, we've got a gargantuan, we've got a terrasque sized monster, basically. Ho, ho, ho. Green giant. That's beautiful. So this is the vegan CrossFit Tarask, is okay. what we're saying. <laughs> he has a bumper sticker that says, you know, 26.2 on the back. <laughs> it's just an arcane tattoo. <laughs> the 26.2 arcane tattoo. All right. All right. So next up is a D10 roll for the number of limbs. All right, Fernando, hit him. I uh, had to find the D10. Uh, nine. Okay, so it's got nine limbs. Oh, no! <laughs> We're making a kraken, I'm telling you. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> it runs, though. It runs, so I'm trying to think. Does this... Is just... Okay, is is this like a spider? It has, like, you know, eight legs that it runs on and then, like, one additional limb that's... Like, does, is this a Like spider? a scorpion tail. It oh. could be, I was thinking that. It could be four-legged, four wings and a tail, or six legs, two wings and a tail. Ooh. But it runs. Oh, it doesn't fly. Right? So, I mean, the wings themselves don't necessarily have to be flight wings. They could just be, you know... Like an ostrich. We can straight up make this thing a giant scorpion. Six legs, two pincers, and a tail. Oh, That runs... Okay. Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Ooh, and it picks flowers. It's like a florist. That's the size of a city block. It's oh. a giant florist scorpion. Would you like to smell my it's flower? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a vegan, though. It's a vegan scorpion. <laughs> Does it sting trees? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, what typically... if it's like one of those Greenpeace scorpions? So, like, it shoots out like a caustic. I mean, we can see what its defense is, but maybe it shoots like a caustic venom that like breaks down like uh -oh. forestry equipment or something like that. <laughs> Let's see. All right. So next up is going to be another D10 roll for the number of eyes. Okay, another D10 for the number of eyes, and that is going to be a two. So it's got two eyes. All right. Well, that's easy enough. You know, I, how many eyes do scorpions have? I don't even know. They have those compound eyes. Yeah, I mean, if you don't use glasses, that's a lot easier than it's, it's basically done. It's two. Two is it's the perfect number for glasses. Anything more than that, it becomes complicated. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. Because then you have to do like the bifocal grind in order to, you know, multifacet the lenses. And then it just gets all kinds of complicated. <laughs> and you know what? You can always go monocle. Yeah. You could always go monocle. Monocles are classy. Monocles are classy with a top hat. Damn straight. All right. We've got a formal <laughs> vegan scorpion. <laughs> Cheerio. Right. Couple right of you, old chap. 
All right. So here's where we start to really flesh it out. We're going to have a D12 roll for its method of defense. All right. That's me, right? Yes. All right. Three. Three. Has a venomous bite. Of course he does. Wow. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, we're just, this is just what it does. It, it bites. That makes I'm sense. I'm seeing this as like a, like a druid's grove guard. Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah, I can see that. And it has that, you know, uh, what's that Pokemon? Torterra? Where it's got the trees growing on its back. Yeah. I'm so bad at like, Pokemon. Like, <laughs> it's like a druid mech also. Like maybe maybe it's kind of like a mech. Yeah, like it's what the druids used to. Uh, maybe it's made out of vines and stuff like that. And it's what the druids used to. Like. We did that. Well, we did our, our campaign with World Build yeah, with us. The, uh, uh, what was it? What did we call it? You had the Bloodthorn Basilisk and we had the creature itself. Yeah, the giant kaiju mech. I forgot we what we named it. Yeah. But it was an entire city on this thing's back. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it was it was run by Inevitables. It was great. <laughs> Terrifying. Yes, it really was. So that does our method of defense. We had the venomous bite. Yes. Uh, next up is a D20 roll for right. quirks. Quirks. All right. I'm all about the quirks. That is... Oh, my God. Another two. <laughs> It only drinks his tea hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is this is going to be an interesting hot. one. This is going to be an interesting one to try and reconcile with everything so far. Mimic. It is able to appear as another creature common in the area. I'm still oh. going with a giant tree. Like you've got the giant sequoias. Yeah, I mean it could, right? Like it mimics like a world tree or something like that. I don't yeah, know. Maybe it's like it's die out of the world tree when you piss her off. Oh, what yeah. if? What if the Druid's Grove is what's growing on its back? Ooh, oh, that could be cool. Nice. Some mobile Druid's Grove. Yeah. I love that. Maybe it just slumbers and then when it gets pissed off, you know, it kind of shakes the earth off and kind of rises up. Yep. With its uh, nine limbs, the, the pincers. And, <laughs> yeah. oh. Wasn't there something like that in one of the Transformer movies? With like a, They had a giant robotic scorpion thing that came up out of the ground. No, they haven't made any Transformers movies. Oh, well, they made the cartoon one in the 80s. And oh, said, okay, fair enough. And yeah, no, I, I totally get that. That's that whole Mandela effect, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when Shayla Boo finds up on your old table, boys and girls. You get movies that don't exist anymore. <laughs> I haven't said that. Bumblebee was actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now we're going to make it weird. I love it. Oh, now we're going to make it weird. Now we're going to make it weird. <laughs> so I'm going to need a D100 roll. Fernando, that's all you, my guy. Good. I'm glad I found the D100 after all. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, new question here because I never rolled one of these. I got a D100, but I'm also need to, I also need to do a D10, right? Yeah, you. the D100 is the 10s number, and then the D10 is the gotcha. one. Yeah, maths. Quick maths. All right, so we got actually 10, and then here comes the decimal. It's uh, 6. So what, 16? 16. Yeah. 16. Sweet 16. Okay. Uh, mimics the sound of a wounded animal to attract prey. Are we, are we going to keep that or are we going to change that because it does eat plants? And <laughs> I mean, unless it's like eating shambling mounds or something. Yeah, I could see that. Or assassin vines. Oh, yeah. It could absolutely attract like sentient plant life. Maybe this is a Feywild creature that, you know, there's there's more. Oh, of this would absolutely, absolutely be a Feywild be, Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, maybe we're looking at something like uh, a Feywild where there are more kind of, you know, living plants and things of that nature. And it does, in fact, you know, mimics a sound in order to draw those in. I could absolutely yeah. see that. Yeah. yeah. Wait, where we were going with the nine limbs and we were thinking scorpion, what if, like, it does look like a tree and those are like the tree roots that stick out and it kind of just walks? 
Or it runs in this case, but yeah. It, no, it runs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It runs, but yeah. It could totally do that with... The, the thing is, like, well, with, with the size, it doesn't need to really attract prey because it's so big, right? Like, But what if it does that while it's growing up? You know, while it's still, like, little, and then once it reaches, like, the uh, world tree size, it doesn't need to do that anymore. So but, it's like, kind of like know, a juvenile stage? Like, right, like in the juvenile stage, then it, do, it does this. Okay. What I'm thinking is maybe it is doing this because it is so large. It has to draw whatever it wants to eat to its mouth. Because it, it takes too much energy for it to try and chomp something. So it's you like know? a cave, right? Their, yeah. Its mouth is just a literal cave somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. A cave with like a, yeah, and then the, the animal sounds come from within. And once you go, it, it goes all, all Venus flight trap on you. Yeah, like it's, it. it's like it's like that opening scene from Aladdin with the cave, you know, shaped like the tiger's mouth that okay. chomps. The diamond in the rough. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I totally <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, nothing but the lamp. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe a I read the story to my kids about once a week. Yeah, there there was only uh, one Aladdin movie as well. We don't acknowledge any. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was great. Rowan Williams was yeah, brilliant yeah. in it. Yeah, <laughs> All right, so we always like to do at least two rolls. So Matthew, do you want to do a D one hundred roll on this too? All right, let's do it because I'm an agent of chaos, if nothing else. All right, what do we got? We've got a is 93 oh my 93 all right 93 <laughs> will instinctively solve any math problems laid before it why the hell not <laughs> it's, it's the computer yes what it's like what it's the computer from the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy oh yes <laughs> that's it it's deep we thought <laughs> It is. It's deep. There you go. We did it. We got there. We did it. We created deep one. <laughs> nice. The answer oh, is man. you're wrong. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love that. That was a great roll. All, right. All right. So, so just to recap, we have a creature which runs really fast. It eats plants. It is gargantuan in size. Has nine limbs, two eyes, a venomous bite. It mimics another creature native to the environment. It mimics the sounds of wounded animals to attract prey. And it will solve any math problem laid before it. <laughs> well, honestly, mimicking the sounds of wounded animals kind of fits with the mimicking of its natural environment anyway. Those both could be, again, predation methods. Right. So, yeah, I like yeah. that both. Beautiful. Yeah. So, what are we going to call it? You saying oak. You oh say an my. oak? That's oh my awesome. god. <laughs> well done. Oh, I, well, that's it. <laughs> and that's all right, folks. Well, I'll see you next week. <laughs> you know what's funny? This happens so often when I'm around Fernando that I'm just used to it at this point. He is amazing at that. Just. <laughs> just something about the way his brain works it's like well i have the perfect you know pun quip here ready to go it just happens that's glorious. well i got two kids so i'm a double dad so the puns is they're just laying around at this point yeah all right well that was a whole lot of fun that was a lot of fun <laughs> i like it that's a that's a good little unwind at the end of these i like them so Another thing that we like to do with our guests is to have them promote someone else in the community, be they a content creator, an artist, a podcaster, a streamer, whatever. Who would you like to shout out this week? Do we get two because there's two of us? 
You can, yeah, sure. Yeah. Fernando, is there anybody that you want to shout out in the art community, an illustrator, something like that? You know, I thought about one of those people that we were talking about the other day, but then I noticed they haven't posted anything since June. So instead, I think I'm going to shout out somebody who has been posting very actively. They've been growing, so they're not hurting for followers, but I like to get them to a thousand. And that's uh, Cartographer's Cantrip and their beautiful pixelated maps. Oh, they are uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd see Cantrip on Twitter. And I'm in love with their art style and those pixelated maps. I'm not huge into pixel art, uh, by the way. I mean, I like pixel art games as a player. I'm not huge into it for my D&D games, but oh my gosh. These maps are just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. They're absolutely gorgeous, yes. Yeah, the, I would 100% use them in a game. They came out of kind of nowhere, right? They showed up in one of my uh, self-promo Saturday threads, and I was immediately like running to my friends like, look at this! Look yeah, at it! <laughs> I remember seeing them in our self-promo Saturday like three weeks ago, I think it was. At the time of recording this three, four weeks ago, that was the first time I'd seen them. And yeah, their stuff is amazing. Absolutely stellar work. Love Cartographer's Cantrip. And I guess on my side, I would love to shout out Mayday Roleplay. I have recently been catching up on their Ashoka uh, series that is DM'd by Ghost of Eli. Absolutely fantastic. One of the things that I really love about it is that it's a non-Eurocentric setting. It's set in a kind of a South Pacific Islander kind of setting. It's very much about like wayfaring, getting around, traveling. And it is a wonderful series that I am really enjoying getting caught up on. Mayday Roleplay does a lot of wonderful things. Fully recommend you check them out uh, at Mayday Roleplay on Twitter. Excellent. So now we come to the part where it's time for you to plug you. So let everybody know where we can find you, where we can find your stuff and any other relevant tags and URLs. Absolutely. You can find us on our website, which is abyssalbrews.com, or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at abyssalbrews on either one of those. We'll very soon be expanding onto Pinterest as well, if you would like to catch us there. Other than that, you can find our coffee shop as well at coffee.com slash abyssalbrews. Excellent. Well, thank you, Matthew and Fernando, for coming and joining us today on Undercommon Taste. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Hey. Always glad to come on and, you know, spend some time with people in the community. That's what we're all about. You know, we started the Bissell Brews with the hope of joining into the TTRPG community and, and being a part of it. And uh, now that we're here, it's that lift as you climb, you know, got to get eyes on everybody. That's my personal opinion. Absolutely, so I love yes. it. I love yeah, it. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Keep, keep up with you guys. I love the, those deep dives that you guys do and like the interviews and everything. Yeah. I, I love how uh, varied your podcast is. It's, it's pretty great. Well, thank thank you. you. We're getting ready to record our the first of our next batch of planar episodes where we're going into pandemonium. Ooh. Chaos. Woohoo. <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you, everyone, for listening today. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes, please send us an email, undercommontaste at gmail.com, or send us a direct message through our Twitter account, at UCT Homebrew. I'm still doing our Shakespeare and Insult page-a-day calendar-inspired roleplay prompts six days a week. They get posted to the Twitter account and then cross-posted to the Instagram Facebook accounts at Undercommon Taste. We also have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. If you enjoy the show and want to help support us a little bit financially, please come over and consider becoming a patron. And finally, I keep forgetting to push this. 
we have a Discord. You can find the link to the Discord in the show notes. Please come join us and talk to us. Absolutely. You can find our podcast wherever you find your podcast. Give us a rate and review. This helps increase our visibility and lets us know what you want to hear more of. So thanks once more for joining us, Matt and Fernando. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week in Pandemonium. Happy gaming. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you enjoyed what you heard, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can email them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate any likes, ratings, and comments you could provide. Find us on social media. We're at Undercommon Taste on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and on Twitter at the handle at UCT Homebrew. If you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash undercommontaste. Our theme is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find her online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Thanks again for listening, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.